We're starting a new series through the Advent here, and we're looking at what does it mean to give glory to God? The angels appeared to the shepherds, and they said, glory to God in the highest. And then the shepherds, directed by the angels, went to the stable, the manger, and they saw Christ. And it says that upon their leaving, that they went into the village, not back to the flock, but they went into the village giving glory to God for what they had seen. And this morning, we're going to look at what does it mean to see the glory of God. A focus verse will be verse 6 of chapter 4. For God who said, let light, light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, have you seen, have you seen the glory, the splendor, the majesty, the goodness and the power and the depths of God in the face of Jesus Christ? In the face of Jesus Christ, face is a, could be a synonym with life. As you look into the life of Christ, as you see Christ move through the Gospels and you, you read His words, you see His life, that you have connected it to see not simply a good man or a good teacher, but you see God come to earth. Jesus is not only what God would be like if He became a man, but he is what God is like as a man. And if that is true, and if we see it, church, it will change us. I believe, I believe that if we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, it will transform Two Rivers Presbyterian Church. Because, as promised in the scripture in verse 18 of chapter 3, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, if this morning, again, we catch a fresh glimpse and see the glory of God in the person of of Jesus Christ, it will transform us to another degree of glory. And as a church, we will demonstrate that. We will become more Christ-like toward one another and to a dark world that their eyes are still blinded. This morning, I, I want you to see, if you're, doing, if you're taking notes with an outline, we've got sermon notes that we have available each week, and those are notes that I work off of to direct me. But an outline might be this. What? How? So what? What is this glory that you speak of? How do I see the glory of God? And then, lastly, so what? Now that I understand what it is, now that I see it, what difference does it make? 
Paul White, on this day, December the 3rd, in 1926, signed a decision card in Australia. He was led by God to make a decision to follow Christ. And he said, I didn't have overwhelming feelings or an experience, but what I heard, I perceived as a promise. And I, by faith, took hold of that promise. And he said, I decided, because I knew the challenges that I would face now as a young man to be a Christian, I knew the challenges. I decided to, quote, live in the full light of Christ. In other words, I won't simply be a believer. I'm going to be a disciple. I won't simply be someone that has information now and knowledge, but that is going to transform me that I will be a follower, a full-throttled follower. He was a chemistry student in his college, and he had read the missionary stories, and we, to our neglect, we've let a lot of these stories drop out of our reading But he dropped out of chemistry, switched it to medicine. He said, that's where I want to go, is I want to serve in medical missions. He became Dr. Paul White, and he went to Tanzania, Africa. And in staying there, he began to treat the body But he began to also, again, over and over again, proclaim the gospel to every patient and every encounter. But not to leave it there, there were many, many children. And because of the tribal wars and because of the Boer Wars many, many years earlier, there were many, many orphans, many, many children. He became famous as... The jungle doctor, if you Google jungle doctor, and don't do that now, but if you Google jungle doctor, Dr. Paul White will come up. And he's more famous for his jungle tales. His tales about the monkey. And they're numerous, but there's one in particular that stands in my mind. The monkey that did not believe in crocodiles. The title alone ought to tell you where the story's going to go. The monkey didn't believe in crocodiles until his tail was snipped. And then he became a great evangelist. There are crocodiles, a great believer. And he told everyone. Dr. Paul White, the jungle doctor, became famous because he saw a means through these jungle tales that he began to write for children to communicate the gospel. But to be clear, he didn't do it because that was what he needed to do to keep his salvation. He did it because he had had God invade his world with his marvelous light and it lit him up so that he, for the rest of his life, would live in the full 
light of Christ. Letting His light shine wherever He went. The Apostle Paul begins with an illustration in verse 12. He talks about we're made bold but not like Moses. And we're made bold because we have, we have a light unlike Moses. He says, Moses wore a veil. But that veil was not to cover up the light. That veil was actually to cover up there wasn't the presence of light. Eugene Peterson, and I'm taking this, and I'm just going to pull a couple of quotes, and they're actually not connected, but they're here in the message. He translates it this way, or paraphrases it, Moses' face, as he delivered the tablets, was so bright that day, even though it would fade soon enough, that the people of Israel could no more look right at him than stare into the sun. Then later, Eugene Peterson, in his translation, says... Moses wore a veil so that the children of Israel wouldn't notice that the glory was fading away. And they didn't notice. They didn't notice it then, and they don't notice it now. They don't notice that there's nothing there behind the veil. There's a veil, Paul says, that covers our Heart. It's like a veil that Moses wore over our face. And it blinds us, he says. He tells us here that in chapter 4, verse 4, uh, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's the problem. Now I know he's talking about unbelievers. And if you're an unbeliever this morning, then you might be going, oh, now I get it. This is the reason that Christians are hard to understand. This is the reason that they talk about these things like they're forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. And this is the reason that they talk about God as not only a creator, but an intimate father. Not only transcendent, but imminent. Not only far away, but very close. This is what they mean when they talk about the Holy Spirit of God's presence within. I, I don't understand, but I understand that I can't understand. But I also believe that there is a dullness. Not a full veil, but that comes upon our life, our mind, our eyesight of the glory of God that we're kept dull, that we're blinded. We don't unpack the glory of God completely. And therefore, the test is, we remain unchanged. Paul goes on and he says, in verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 12, we're told that this is the work of the Spirit. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. Remember, the Spirit of the world blinds us to see the glory of God. It was just a baby. It was just a, he was just a good teacher. He was the son of a carpenter 
And yes, he was slain because and crucified because he was zealous. But that's not God in the flesh. The spirit of the world doesn't see the full glory of God in the person of Jesus. But you know when you begin to look at him and say, that's the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world. That's the one who patiently for 30 years as a youth in the carpenter's shop abided and bided patiently until the time was right to come out in his public. You see those things now. But the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Freely given us by God. It's the Spirit of God that lifts the veil that you can now see in Jesus Christ the free gift of salvation. It's not what you do. It's what you receive. It's not what you do. It's receiving what He did. It's not you applying things religiously to rescue yourself, drowning in the dark. It's a rescue mission, the free gift of God that you now see. And your response is to give glory, to go, wow. To say, this is shinier. And that's what the word glorify means, is that you make much of. It outshines other things. You see that only God can do that. Secondly, that's what we're talking about, is that wow experience, that being able to look at Christ and see the glory of God, all in a man, Son of God. Secondly, how does it come to our blind minds? Over in verse 6 of chapter 4, God has said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, good Bible students, knowing their Bible, and we as Christians should know our Bible. Now, you should have the Bible on your smartphone. You should have the Bible on, like Moses, tablets. You should have the Bible, I believe, also a hard copy or softback, doesn't matter. But you ought to have a, a Bible. And I believe for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, we read our Bibles to be able to know and to unpack, to be able to have a, a base of knowledge that God can add to increasingly. A knowledge of God, because the Bible teaches us about God his historic, redemptive ways of working with men. But it also teaches, oh, it is a sword that cuts to the quick. It separates bone and marrow. It teaches us about us. It does heart surgery. It shows us as we are. But it also shows us our Savior. And it shows us His work of atoning grace or His rescue mission of, of the length that He went to to come, to teach, to live as we should live, to die as we should die, and then to rise again, all the while with the promise of eternal life with Him. That's what we're to behold in verse 18. We now have an unveiled face, but we're growing to 
to, to behold Him, and we're growing in our knowledge. And it's the same words that Paul will use in verse 6 that Moses used to describe what God did at creation. In Genesis 1-3, he said, Let light shine out of the darkness, or let there be light over the vast earth that was in the dark at that time. There's the earth with the sea. Yet formless on the surface and void, very much like us, going nowhere. Formless, spiritually void, in darkness. But God comes into this earth and He says, light, let there be light. And creation began. Paul's saying there is no less power and motion when God, through the Spirit, turns the light on in your heart. I read earlier to the kids out of John, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and that was the light of men. Where did it start? It started by the hand of God. It started by the work of God. We could not in our blindness, in our darkness, Heal ourselves. We needed someone to turn the light on. Someone outside of us, far greater than us, and it was God, and it was through Christ that He has done that. And when we look at that and say, what am I that in my darkness, in my sin, He should come down and turn the light on for me that I might not perceive? It prompts us then to behold His glory. It prompts us then to see even that gives light now to the knowledge of glory. The Westminster Confession of Faith describes it this way. It's called the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It's, as, it's a process by which we are like this lamp. We have a body, but this lamp, as it is right now, in the dark, is useless. But by the very hand of God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, He comes and He turns the light on. And we worship Him that we are no longer in the dark now, that the veil is removed. And that veil being removed, that there is now a light in its presence. And it will never leave us. Charles Wesley describes his testimony. Charles Wesley believed in God. He even was a missionary under Governor Oglethorpe in Germany. He believed in God. But he had such a a lack of assurance of his salvation. He says, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. But he's telling others about God out of the knowledge that he had. He came back after two years to England. And he took a job where he was translating, he was teaching English to Peter Bowler. Peter Bowler was a Moravian a very, very strong Christian out of the Moravian tradition that they 
devoured God's Word. They are famous for their worship services in response to the the growing love and intimacy that they have with God. That being expressed to give God glory and worship. And Peter Bowler said, Dr. Wesley, you should read Galatians by Martin Luther. Charles Wesley got a copy of the commentary of Martin Luther on Galatians. And he soon was on his sickbed. And while he was on his sickbed, he became, at that moment, he said, that was the moment of my conversion. While reading the gospel of grace, the free gospel of grace for sinners far from God, I became a Christian. And in response to that, to tell his conversion story, he wrote this hymn, And can it be that I should gain? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye, my eye, diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My question to you is, are you operating more out of information or out of intimacy? And the test is going to be, is does your knowledge of Jesus Christ prompt you, not simply convict, not guilt, but very natural, a fruit. It's organic. Does the knowledge that you have of Jesus Christ, does a a look at His life and and a meditation on that face and all that He has done for us, Now with open eyes, now in the light, does it prompt you to worship? Does it prompt you, as Paul says here in verse 5, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as our Lord. Commentators are divided. This is a controversial passage, only in they don't know why Paul has it here in that some commentators say Paul is defending why he preaches so boldly. Why he is a missionary going in to the Gentiles, people in darkness. And other commentaries say no, no. He's not simply saying why he preaches, why he goes on mission, why he goes into dark places, because his now illumined and because he sees God's glory to him in the face of Christ that that good news has to go forward. He's saying this is the mark of all Christians. And I align myself there. I believe you do not do well to say this is just preacher talk. This is just for the elders in the church. A.W. Tozer was right. 
You're kidding yourself if you think, I'm a believer, but I'm not a follower. You're kidding yourself if you say, I have received the light. But unlike Paul White, the jungle doctor, you're going to say, but I'm not going to live in the full light of Christ. Every Christian is to be a disciple. And we're about, that's the business that we want to be about at Two Rivers. That every Christian has come to learn of the free gift of salvation. It has come into our darkness. And now in that light, we want, to, we want more and more and more knowledge of God. And that's going to be found in the life of Christ. What are you doing? What are you doing yourself? Are you finding that, like verse 18, that you're transfixed, you're seeing it, but are you being transformed? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, describes us this way. And I'm, it says in verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Now, I know he's mixing analogies there, but he's saying that our salvation, that light having come into our darkness, is going to bear fruit. That light is going to be fruitful. So that means the light has to grow and it has to go somewhere. It's not simply something that we absorb the knowledge of God's grace to us in our darkness. Charles Spurgeon uses an illustration of Christians who want to absorb the light but not reflect the light. And he says it's like a man in his room on a brilliantly sunny day. And in this room with the the sunbeams just coming in and filling all of the dark room with light, he says, I want to bottle this up. I want to keep this for myself. And he goes and he begins to shutter all the windows. And he says, he has gone back into the dark. That the light is made to not be hidden under a basket. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel basket? No. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel basket? No. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And that's what Paul's about. And it will bear a secondary fruit, because we know the obvious fruit is that we're going to be identified as followers of Jesus Christ and not simply believers. We're going to be identified as those that walk in this light, that make decisions in this light. But it's going to have the promise of verse 18 to transform us. In Valley of Vision, in the prayer titled Christ-likeness. This is some of what it 
looks like to be transformed as we walk in the light. The fruit that is not only for others to observe, but for us to taste and experience. Cause me to be a mirror of thy grace. To show others the joy of thy service. No more mournful Christianity. I'm happy to serve him. Mission field or no. Witness to my neighbor or no. Serving my neighbor. May my lips be well-tuned cymbals. Sounding thy praise. Let a halo of heavenly mindness sparkle around me. And a lamp of kindness sunbeam my path. Teach me the happy art of attending to things temporal with a mind that is on things eternal. Send me forth to have compassion on the ignorant and the miserable. Help me to walk as Jesus walked my only Savior and perfect model, His mind, my inward guest, His meekness, my covering garb. Are we more and more Christ-like? We, um, the Scriptures here telling us of the light of Christ coming into our darkness is reminding us of an ancient, ancient promise. In Isaiah 9, the birth of a Redeemer and a King was promised. And the promise of light is most welcome to people who have been in the dark for a long time. And he said, for those walking and living in darkness, they will see a great light. That promise is good news for us at the point of our salvation, but it's good news for the promise of our growing more and more intimate with God such that we even image Christ's light as we reflect Christ's light. In other words, the areas of my life that are still dark, He is still coming in to shine His light more and more and more. Let me, let me end by just two notes of application before we come to this table. Because you see, this table is a promise also. It's a gospel table. It's a promise of strength that is not reliant upon you. You're saying, I'm going to take Christ. I'm going to behold Him again, His death on my behalf. And if He died for me, He's not done with me. So I want His power, His power to become more Christ-like. Number one, Identify the areas that are still dark in your life. And with tears, plead to God that His light will break forth on them. It's only light. It's not keeping it as your shameful, dirty secret that is ever going to change those things in the dark. Go to Him 
acknowledge them before Him, I would dare some of you to go to a close Christian friend and share your struggle with them. Because the things you bring from the dark into His light will die there. But own your darkness, but bring it into the light. Secondly, I highly recommend a journal, but any piece of paper to make a list will do. Look at the life of Christ. Look at the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, or the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Him. Christ tells us what we're to do and live that reflect Him, reflect His light, that show Christ's likeness. Take one. Just take one. You'll be overwhelmed with the whole list. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's a critical spirit. Maybe it's a lack of humility. But take one in the positive. Not anger, but peace. But not lust, purity. Not pride, but humility, meekness. Take one, put it in your journal, and pray that God and His light will lead you to walk in that light. That you would just, just take one, but that you would pray and you would focus and you would see that demonstrated in the life of Christ until you're inspired that you will see the fruit of light in your life. And as a church, my vision is that we will all do that. All do that, walking in the light here, that we might use that. That will bring great glory in response to seeing the light of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, set aside these elements for our strength by your grace. Lord, take this humble bread and this wine and in a way that only you can, use it to represent Christ being taken again, taken in for life and light. Father, we approach this table and there are dark areas of our life, but we approach it with all humility, weakness, even brokenness, longing for your light to come into those areas that you might heal us, strengthen us, and even use us as we desire to become like you, Jesus. And in your image, we would bear this light, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.